The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, we're going to kick things off as we do every day on the show with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened, all these stories that matter most. And joining me for the afternoon update today, Kieran Cunningham, the Chief Sports Writer with the Daily Star, and Sinead Ryan, presenter of the Home Show here on News Talk. Um, Kieran, we actually might start with a sporting story. Uh, so Andy Farrell is going off to the Lions, the the, the least surprising uh, sports story of the day. Yeah, it's been well signposted. Um like it's a great honour for him. Like it's always a, a, a huge notch uh, on any coach's, uh, uh, or a huge addition to his as a coach's CV to 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 have coached the Lions. It is a kind of an, an odd one this time, I think, because it's Australia, and Australia are such a low ebb. Like you know, the World Cup, they lost to Fiji, uh, a pretty average Wales team beat them forty six, and Eddie Jones, you know, uh, uh, had to walk on a sword uh, after that World Cup. Whether the Wales can turn things around uh, in eighteen months' time for that tour, because as things stand, if England, Scotland, Ireland, or Wales were touring Australia, I think they would all be pretty confident of winning a tour line seri- or a tour series. So, with the, with the combined team with the Lions, the expectations would be huge. Like it's it's very different to go to New Zealand or South Africa. I think this is time uh, mm. time they'll be very much hot favourites, but it can only help Ireland as well because Farrell will have that experience. Uh, and you know the more coaching experience you get at a high level, and like there's a lot of uh, self mythologizing around the Lions. Like it's, there's I was no going to ask that. I mean, beyond, yeah. uh, would you move past the kind of the Sky Sportsification of it all over the last twenty years? Is it is it still what it once was for the players and the coaches? I, I think uh, I think it can be overpowering in the build up. You yeah, know, because like I've never, I know that from about eight uh, a year to eighteen months out, you get bombarded by emails from uh, line sponsors, etc. Like they really do a hard. Like sell. the Ryder Cup. Yeah, and and the sh- yeah the Ryder Cup's very similar in that, and they also you know they rerun the old speeches and the old uh, documentaries, and it's all built up, and that can become a bit wearying. But by the time the test matches come around. Uh, you know, you strip all that away and just watch it. It's really high level sport. Like it is that the, the Lions test matches historically over the years have been incredible. Hopefully they can be this time, but Australia needs to, to get back on the horse very, very quickly. But I, I'm delighted for Farrell because he's such a likeable, mm. a likeable guy. I think he's one of the most popular figures in Irish sports. Um, and, you know, he he's rightly recognised as one of the best coaches in the world. Uh, Sinead, it's a huge Irish rugby fan. of you reservations about losing our head coach? I do. We will miss him. And actually, more than that, as a Munster fan, I, w- I have reservations about losing Paul O'Connell with him. Um, there's going to be all change, at least for a while, because he won't go out there alone and we'll lose him for a bit before with all the hype. And, you know, you don't want Andy Farrell taking his eye off the ball as far as Ireland is concerned. That's for sure. I wonder personally, Kieran, will it put him in the invidious position now of becoming his son's coach? Because if Owen Farrell is selected um, for the Lions team. And I know he's pulled away from some international duties uh, for personal reasons. You know, that would be a that would be a tough one. I, I always feel sorry for him. And this is just the mammy and me, you know, watching <laughs> watching Ireland against England and, and knowing that your dad is cheering for the other team. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's pretty bad. I think it's fantastic. No, I agree. Uh, it's it's going to be it's for the greater good of both his CV and he's done so well for Ireland uh, and maybe he'll come back then with added oomph uh, 
for us for the World the other Cup thing next is, time like, around. You, you obviously will lose, you know, as Sinead says, you will lose him for the Six Nations next year. But Simon Easterby has to step up. And that's great for Simon Easterby. Yeah. You can see what, you know, like he, he's effectively having an, an, uh, an open addition to be uh, Andy Farrell's successor down the line by having that sh- shot at the Six Nations as head coach. And a lot of the coaching staff, you know, is, like it's obviously Andy Farrell's head coach, but there's a ma- it's a massive coaching staff and a lot of those will still be in place. So hopefully it won't affect Ireland too much. And it'll be interesting because there's always political pressure yeah. then coming to the selection. And he will uh, he'll get a bit of flag him, if it's not like, uh, a lot of Ireland players. They will want him to pick whoever he wants because yeah. from the Lions point of view they'll say bring the best package you can with you. So I, you know, you would worry a little bit that that some people will be absent then from have their eye, you know, their eye off the ball on the Irish side um, certainly in terms of the, the, the next six is, nations. I, I'm, rugby I guess has gone the way of other sports like Olympic cycles and it is it it operates now in World Cup cycles Mm -hmm. doesn't it? So like as Six Nations go the next two Six Nations are arguably not as important as the two that come afterwards Yeah that's a good point I think so like this is stuff we can win right now so it does matter yeah, well, I it think. matters in that sense yeah I guess we can yeah. win Six Nations we haven't <laughs> passed the quarter final yet in the World Cup anyway um, listen there'll be plenty more conversation about that I'm sure on Off the Ball tonight at 7 o'clock as always um, uh, we're going to be talking later in the show I mentioned that doctor from Gaza we're going to be chatting too we'll get an update as well um, from The Hague so we have the first day of South Africa's <laughs> genocide case effectively um, against Israel uh, taking place before the International Court of Justice uh, today, uh, Sinead. Um, This is just kind of the opening arguments. Is that what we're hearing? That's all we're going to get uh, today and tomorrow. And in fact, if the court, as I understand it, decides to hear a wider case, you know, it's something that would take years rather than a a quick hit. So this is very much, I think, uh, a ploy by South Africa to just raise the volume on uh, this issue of genocide. It's bringing um, Israel to The Hague in violation, it says, of the 1948 Genocide Convention, which ironically was brought in after World War II and the Holocaust. Uh, And it's saying that it it effectively says that uh, genocide is when it's perpetrated on an ethnic group of people or on racial grounds. And it's saying because it's against the people of Gaza, that that is an ethnic minority. Uh, Now, I, I think I wonder, now Israel, of course, have said this is the height of hypocrisy and, you know, coming from South Africa and all that. But I, I just wonder, is is really now the ta- this going to be the tail that wags the dog? Because the only response that matters now, more than I think probably the Court of Justice, will be the American response. Uh, Anthony Blinken is, is, has been out um, in Israel now and seems to me to be talking, as the Americans sometimes do on this, out of both sides of their mouth. So on one side, they're completely rejecting South Africa, taking this, saying it's irresponsible, blah. And the other side, uh, they're asking the Israelis maybe to do more to cut down on on maybe the civilian attack. So I think that's where we look on this. And, and The Hague will just provide that loud voice behind it. When you look at the countries, Kieran, that have aligned themselves with South Africa and and have joined uh, this legal campaign, it's maybe it's kind of South American countries, it's Arabic and other predominantly Muslim countries. And that that is it. There's no what you might describe as a kind of a uh, Western democracy in there. There's certainly no European countries uh, mm-hmm. in there. Turkey, um, at a stretch, you might describe as, as, as European. Um, does that 
mean that this is a kind of a sideshow from from what might actually have any influence on the ground in Gaza? And as Sinead says, it really is down to kind of the bigger partners like the Americans. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a sideshow because um, like it is such a high profile event and, and it will be making global, global headlines when it comes out. Like I can't see the, the win in the case because they're just up against the superpowers, particularly the the Americans who who generally back Israel to the hilt. Um, uh, like some of this, uh, so, uh, there's an Irish barrister, Blinan Yigrali, who's a part of the South Africa legal team. And her open, a lot of her opening statement was really impressive. And this, one of the points she makes is the first genocide in history being broadcast in real time. And, you know, there's reasons to be sceptical about a lot of footage you see, particularly online and through social media, various words. But there's a lot of verified footage and a lot of verified reporting that, uh, out of what's happened in Gaza. And it's pretty appalling. Like, like there's another, she used, she, came, she mentioned a new acronym that has come out of Gaza, WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. And that is unspeakably grim. Mm. And I was just actually reading a book uh, recently called uh, This Mortal Coil, but it's a history of death through the centuries. But it focuses a lot on uh, how various diseases, uh, the origin of various diseases, etc. And so many of them came from dirty water and not proper sanitation. Mm. And uh, already, and this came out in the, in, in the Hague today, four out of five people suffering from famine in the world now are in Gaza because of what's happened in recent months. And that all has an impact when people are piled together into refugee camps, etc. That has an impact on water and sanitation, and that all leads to more disease. So what's happening there is just unspeakable. And I think uh, there has been pressure in Ireland. To, like Ireland has been an outlier in many ways in, in Europe in its support mm. for Gaza, but it hasn't joined this um, case. And I can see why pressure, why a lot of people aren't happy with that. Mm. Uh, we actually have a little clip of, of Blinden Negralik, who you mentioned there, uh, Kieran, before the International Court of Justice today. Take a listen. The daily statistics stand as clear evidence of the urgency and of the irreparable prejudice. On the basis of the current figures, on average, 247 Palestinians are being killed and are at risk of being killed each day, many of them literally blown to pieces. They include 48 mothers each day, two every hour, and over 117 children each day, leading UNICEF to call Israel's actions a war on children. Yeah, that was Blinden de Grawlig uh, speaking a little bit earlier uh, this afternoon. That case is ongoing. And like I said, after five o'clock, we're going to be speaking um, to a doctor from the UK, but just back from two weeks uh, in Gaza, operating on some of those children uh, that we've mentioned there. Uh, so that, like I say, after five o'clock, well worth uh, staying tuned in for. Uh, we might stick with international news because, Sinead, um, a couple of days ago in this very slot in the afternoon update, we were talking about the fact that Donald Trump was in court. He was in court because he was claiming immunity against criminal prosecution for what happened on January 6th, the Capitol riots or insurrection, however you want to describe them. He is back in court today in New York, but it's an entirely different case. This time it is about um, exaggerating the value of his... Uh, property portfolio to get more favourable loans. One of the, I think, 71 legal cases pending against Donald Trump. What are the chances? Uh, Look, it's hard to overstate 
the ridiculousness of some of the stuff that uh, Trump has been involved in. But these court cases kind of take the biscuit. Um, what happened this morning, uh, like Irish time, um, and there's no suggestion that Trump had anything to do with this, but there was a bomb threat made to uh, the Florida judge to his home. Uh, he is judging Gorn, who's been a frequent critic of him and in fact has found him in um, violation uh, liable for fraud and put him under a gag order not to abuse court staff, which you wouldn't think you'd have to do. Um, and and then because it was violated that order, he has fined him $15,000. So it has really got to the stage now where, um, I mean, we, we all remember the riots at Capitol Hill and how just unbelievable they were. That There was a, an American goo-boo moment for sure. Uh, but Trump's supporters, it seems, have not gone away. They are still out in force. It doesn't seem to make the slightest bit of difference what he does, what he says, how he goes about his business. Uh, he will be supported. He famously said before the last election that he could shoot someone in Times Square and he'd still he'd still be voted or he'd, he'd still <laughs> he, get in. He is here. He, he is manifest... Um, he has made manifest that old idea that there's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. You know, hasn't he? It's, it, this is the same thing we saw four years ago and eight years ago, just continually be in the headlines. Yeah, because um, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden made a speech the other day and he got a lot of praise for the speech. And if you read the, the transcript, like it was very well written, it was very well articulated. But I think he's making a mistake. It was very much focused on Trump as well. And that seems to be very much um, the way they're going to go with this campaign and keep uh, pointing out uh, that these think he's a flawed character and etc. But I honestly think the people, uh, there's a cult of Donald Trump and cults don't really engage with logic or facts. And I think, you know, everything has been thrown. It was thrown, uh, you know, we saw all the stuff that came out during um, Trump's first election campaign. It made no difference. Like, people did not care. The people who, who support Trump did not care and all these cases have been taken against Donald Trump. Like, if, if he was convicted of something, there would be civil war in America. You know, like January 6th would, uh, you know, be a, a tea party compared to what would happen. Mm. Because there's tens of millions in the US who just idolise him and who don't care. They just see anything that's said against him mm. as part of the so-called elite and that he is their man, and no matter what he does, or yeah. no matter what he says. And yet what's kind of perplexing about it all, Sinead, is that uh, those people voted for Donald Trump anyway four years ago and he didn't win. And it's college-educated women who are probably going to win the election for him this time. Yeah, Indeed, it's extraordinary, it. isn't it? And and I think you're right, it is that kind of cult following that he has. What, what might work, I mean, rather than try and change the hearts and minds of intractable forces, what might actually work are some of these cases that have been taken against putting him on the Republican ballot at all. Uh, so the got ballots at the end of this month uh, are in Iowa and New Hampshire. They're really, really key. And there's cases to have them not listed now, it seems to me from what I've read that they are in one one sense, one kind of school of thought is they're doomed to fail, which may, will make them more popular than ever. So they'll completely backfire. But if they go ahead and he's not even on the ballot, that means that he cannot be selected as the candidate. And that has caused a surge in, in people like Nikki Hale. Well, actually, I say like people. She's the only one that seems to have served Chris Christie 
uh, dropped out yes. uh, earlier and Nikki Haley may be the only one then that can come up against him. Uh, I somehow think it's going to take a lot more than that. And I mean, look, this can be very amusing from this side of the pond to look at it the same way we looked at Boris Johnson and, and you know, whoever the last Prime Minister lasted five minutes before him. Uh, but it's really serious and it has serious implications. If this war in Gaza and in Ukraine are going to continue into a new Donald Trump administration, I would have genuine fear for the state of the world, the planet at that point. We're going to be talking about this with Jeff Cooner a little bit later. He's the host of the Cooner Report on WRKO AM 680 Radio in Boston. Jeff describes himself as liberalism's worst nightmare. So you can uh, take that <laughs> as any way you want. Uh, Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer with the Daily Star. Sinead Ryan, presenter of the Home Show here on News Talk. Thank you both very much uh, for joining me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.